0: Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to get set up here while I ask, does anybody need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand, and looks like Dan will bring you a Bible. We do believe that the Word is powerful and effective, and if you follow along as I teach today, that um, this will be more beneficial to you. I'm not sure what's going on with my slides here. Um, I may have to have one of the guides come fix this for me. But we'll get that situated. Um, if you follow along with the message, it will help retain. And then we do believe, as I said, it's, it's always important that you have the Word of God in your hands. Thank you, sir. So how are you all doing? Are you guys with me here? Yeah, okay, I see some yeses. I see some, uh, where are we? But uh, I'm excited about today's lesson. Um, we have a lot to cover today. And so last week we studied the crucifixion. If you were here... And I would suggest if you weren't here that maybe you would just go back and watch last week's sermon because I really don't want to go through a whole recap of where we've been the last several months because we have a lot to cover. Today we're going to be studying the resurrection, and you put these two chapters together the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there we have the message of the cross, which is going to be my first slide. Thank you, Logan. I want to begin with this passage this morning to kind of set our hearts. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 and it says this. <clears throat> For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now many in the world would look at what we're studying here today and they would just simply see all of this as foolishness. Which means they would see us as fools. I'm a fool, you're a fool, wouldn't you want to be a fool too? It's like that, you know, but what they don't understand is we don't just follow in blind faith, that there are proofs. Oftentimes that's what happens. They, they, they think of Christians as sheep or you just follow anything blindly. But there are major proofs, many proofs that help us understand and believe in the resurrection. My three favorite is number one, there's no body. The tomb is empty. Secondly, there were so many witnesses, over 500 witnesses, the Bible tells us, that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared to. And lastly, and I think maybe most importantly, is you don't go from coward to martyr unless you saw the resurrected Christ. There are proofs, and there are people who want to rebuff that, they want to refute those proofs, and honestly... I'm not even going to mention them because you could go online, you could look it up, you could do that if you wanted, but they're so ridiculous that they're, in my mind, they're not even worth mentioning. What I want to do today is begin by talking about another fool, a man named Joseph. Now be turning your Bibles to Luke 23. If you remember, we left off beginning with verse 50. So we're going to finish off Luke 24 today, but we first need to start here because I believe this section goes better with Luke 24. And this fool we're about to read of, the Bible tells us was a righteous man, and we're going to look at that. So let's begin in verse 50, and it says this, and a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and he wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now, let's pause here for a minute. This passage is talking about Joseph, uh, we know as Joseph of Arimathea. And it says that Joseph was an honored member of the Jewish High Council, which is known as the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was made up of both Pharisees and Sadducees. It was a group, a council of 70 men who together made all the decisions for the Jews. Now, they didn't even agree with each other. But collectively, they made the rules. They made all these decisions for the Jews. And it goes on to say that he was a good man, that he was a righteous man, and that he had not consented to their plan. Now, John's gospel tells us that he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Secret? Yes, secret. So was another man named Nicodemus. They were secret disciples of Jesus. Why were they disciples in secret? because of fear. It tells us that they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of what the other people of the Sanhedrin would think of them. If in any way you agreed that Jesus was the Messiah, you would get excommunicated. Everything you'd worked your entire life for would be for naught. Fear is a powerful emotion. In fact, most of the disciples, specifically the men, Before, during, or after the crucifixion, they fled. Before, they were publicly following. And when it was all going down, I'm out of here. But after Jesus' death, Joseph, Nicodemus, boldly take a stand. And it probably cost him dearly. Like, you can't hide this. Now they know how you feel. You go to Pilate, and you're asking for his body. We're going to read that in a minute. Or we just read some of it. We'll read more. And so, he takes a stand, Nicodemus takes a stand in securing the body of Jesus. Now, I love this, where he says that Joseph is waiting for the kingdom of God. He's waiting for the kingdom of God in that he believed in the promises of God, he knew that God was going to send a Messiah, he knew the scriptures, he knew the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of how the Messiah would come, and how the Messiah would die. And as Joseph says here, or as it says of Joseph, he's waiting for the kingdom of God. Now Joseph knew his wait was over because he witnessed it, the exact things he had studied. He cared enough about Jesus' body to go to Pilate and maybe beg Pilate if he could get the body of his now Lord for a proper burial. Understand, the Roman custom for a man who was crucified was just to let you rot on the cross. They would just leave you up there. You lost all burial privileges, you and your family, if you were crucified. Like we we, we have cemeteries, we go, we leave flowers, you you didn't do that here. You lost all rights, they left you on the cross to rot where the birds of the air and the beasts of the field would basically start to devour you. Those crosses were not super high up, they were like this. Animals would come up. And then when you were done rotting there, they would throw you in a massive burial site with all the other people who had been cru- crucified. It was gruesome, horrific, and I believe evil. But you lost all these rights. But this, this wasn't going to happen to Jesus. They, this wasn't going to fly. This was unacceptable to both Joseph and Nicodemus, so they put themselves out there. Now, Matthew's Gospel tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man and that he had donated this tomb where Jesus was to be laying. And another Gospel tells us there was a garden, and in that garden was this tomb, and this tomb was nearby the execution site, and that's important. I'll explain a little more of that in in a little bit. But it's in this tomb, in this garden, is where they probably made their preparations on preparation day to receive the body of Christ. And for those of you note, taking notes, John 19, verse 39, says that Nicodemus, John 19, verse 39, says Nicodemus came first bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds worth. <laughs> now that, that's not dry weight. Dry weight, it's more like 50 to 75 pounds of these herbs, these spices. Now that's just... That's, that's above and beyond what you would need. But as well, they would have had to bring these wrapping, these winding sheets to wrap the body of Jesus during the preparation day. They, they would not have been able to go shopping for these items on the Sabbath. Nothing's open. You can't sell. You can't buy. You can't work. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. So what I'm getting at is that this was planned. This wasn't some last-minute thought, willing... Willy Vanilli? I don't know. What's that expression? (laughs) Oh, so... so. I'm crazy. Okay. It was planned. It was well thought out. Understand, it was late. Like Jesus died on the cross around 3 o'clock. But understand this about the Sabbath. Their day begins at sundown. Not at sunrise like us. Like beginning of our day when the sun rises. We even have daylight savings. We do all this stuff so we can spend our time in the day. Their day in that culture, begins at sundown. So, the Sabbath is about to happen, as the Scripture says. By the time they, they confirm Jesus is dead, they go and they beg for the body, they remove Him from the cross, it's late. It's getting maybe dark. How dark? I don't know, but it's, it's coming. And they have to get the body to the tomb, and that's why it's important that this tomb was nearby. So after Jesus is laid to rest, it says that the women they, who came with him from Galilee, they, they see where the tomb is, and so they go back and they prepare their spices. They, they don't know what's going on in that tomb with Joseph and, er, uh, and Nicodemus. It was probably in there. They've had all those preparations. They probably didn't use all those spices, those aloes and myrrh. It was running out. The light was fading. They had to do it quickly. And then it says... And on the Sabbath they rested. Again, you just lay around on the Sabbath. Now that brings us to chapter 24, so let's turn there in verse 1. And on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb and reporting all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women were with them, telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up. And ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pause here for a moment. Because it begins and says that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Our first day of the week for us typically is Monday. But in this culture, Sunday is the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath. But it says at early dawn. So I want you to understand Again, their day begins in the evening. But as soon as the Sabbath is over, it's not time to go to the tomb because it's too dark. You can't do anything. So they basically have to wait another half day till dawn is coming. And so early at dawn, when there's light, they come to the tomb, bring in the spices that they had prepared when? On the Friday, during preparation day. Again, they couldn't have shopped for this stuff. They had to have it all ready. On the Sabbath... You didn't even cook. You didn't prepare a fire. You didn't go feed your animals. All that had to be done on Friday. You prepared the Sabbath meal on Friday because you couldn't cook on that day. You you laid around and you reflected on God and what God has done for you. And it says in verse 2 that they, they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb and they entered and they did not find the body of Christ. What do you think they were expecting to find when they got there and they saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb? What were they? Spices in hand. They were expecting to find a body, a dead body. And on the way there, Matthew tells us, they didn't even know how they were going to roll away the stone. They're just going in. They fully expected the tomb to be sealed. Uh, like, how are we going to move the stone? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if they knew about the guards. I don't know if they knew that the, the, the tomb was stamped with the Roman seal of authority. Like, even if you get there, you, it takes someone special to have that seal broken. But church love does funny things to a person. All I know is I'm going, is their mindset. They were so single-minded with one thing that they were blinded to all the other obstacles. And yet I believe they were completely led by the Spirit of God to be there. Why? To be a messenger, to be a witness for the message, He is risen. Now when they get there, they see that the stone's already been rolled away. and, And there's no guards an angelic presence had already did the heavy lifting for them so to speak in in the gospel of matthew verse 20 or chapter 28 verse 2 and 3 it says this and behold a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it and his appearance was like lightning And his clothes was white as snow. An angel rolled away the stone. But I contend, not so that Jesus could get out. He rolled away the stone so that they could get in. And they go in. And there's nobody. Instead, they encounter two angels in human form. And it scared them. They were afraid. They bowed. And I don't blame them. I would have been afraid too. But there was two angels, it says, in, in human form, but they were dazzling white. Now, I'd realize that many people don't even believe in angels. And there's probably not a person here who could say that I've seen an angel." Well, except for your kids. And some of you are going, "No, those are demons. <laughs> Just give me. But I'm reminded of a passage that tells us that, reminds us that angels come in different forms. There's a passage that talks about being hospitable to strangers, for some have entertained angels without knowing. Whenever I give or I share something with a homeless person, that, that goes through my brain. Maybe this is an angel. And so I do it. But these angels are, they have something to say. These angels say, why do you seek the living from the living one from among the dead? And it says that they were perplexed. Of course they would be. So much is happening so quickly. It totally caught them off guard. And in their bewilderment, as they're pondering that question, these angels seem to take on a tone of rebuke as they bring to mind what the Lord had told them. Don't you remember what he spoke to you? How he must be handed into sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Church, listen. This is why it's so important to gather together as a body of believers so we too can be reminded of Jesus' words and what He said and what He did and how He loved, to be reminded of the promises of God. But there's just like something about our human memory that we we don't get all the time. We we don't understand it and we don't use it enough. As I taught through the first five books of the Bible at midweek, I know it always astonished me how many times God told Moses to tell the people to remember. Tell your children, dot, dot, dot. Bind these words on the tablet of your heart. Write them on your doorpost. Write them on your forehead. The celebrations and the feast were set up so that the people wouldn't forget what the Lord had done for them and rescuing them from Egypt. Write down these laws in stone. Build this altar here. Build this altar there. Why? So that they would remember. In fact, the whole Sabbath is a time to reflect about all the things that the Lord is doing for you. And it goes on and on. Do a search sometime. I, I challenge you. Do a search. Just get on Google. How many times does the Bible say, remember and do not forget? I did that. Three pages of type scriptures every time it says that. But there's so many more on how to remember. But again, there is something about the human memory that quickly forgets the things we should not forget. And, and it's true for the Bible. In fact, some funny memories I have is my mom used to tell me, Tom, you have a selective memory. You guys ever ever said that to your kids? In fact, my wife is over here. She still says it to me today. <laughs> like, did you take out the garbage? Uh, I forgot. Selective memory? Did you fix my closet door? I promise I'll fix that tomorrow. <laughs> it's It's true. But remembering when it comes to God's Word isn't passive, it is an action. And as we remember what God has done, it enables enables us to stop focusing on the impossible, but instead to focus on the God who said everything is possible through Him. And they remembered His words, I love that. So off the ladies go, excited, man, fired up, ready to pronounce the good news that we saw an angel, that he is risen. The angel said, why are you here? There is nobody. He is risen. They're ready to tell the world, only to encounter unbelief by the men. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Now, I appreciate the fact that the Bible lifts up the faith of women. You see that in all churches. Oftentimes the women's ministries are exploding. And it's powerful. And we're grateful for our women. But guys, we go, wait, 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 wait. At least we got Peter. Look what Peter does. It says that Peter runs to the tomb. And in another gospel, it says he races the apostle John. Now, John's younger and John beats him, so he would have wrote that down. That makes sense, Right? But when he gets there, it says that Peter stoops down and he looks in only to see the linen wrappings lying there. We're like, come on, Peter, let's go, guys. Now go tell the rest of the world what you saw. Go tell him that he's risen, that he's not there, that the tomb is empty. Go tell him, Peter, you're the leader of this thing. Nope. It says that Peter went home tomorrow about all these things. Like, hmm. Yeah, I think I'll just go home and think about it a while. It doesn't say he saw the resurrected Christ. Was he trapped in doubt and unbelief? i got to think about this a while before I say anything. I'm not really sure what's going on there. But yet, if he didn't see the resurrected Christ, maybe I'd have the same reaction. Now, in verse 13, it says this, And behold, Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other all about the things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, "'What are these words that you are exchanging with one another?' As you are walking, and they stood still looking sad, one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to him, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they went when they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body. They came saying they had also, that, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us met or went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said. But him we did not see. And he said to them, "'O foolish men!' and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. Let's pause here. Now, it says that these two men are traveling that very day to this village named Emmaus, probably their hometown about seven miles away, and they're walking with each other, talking about all the things that had just taken place over the last, really, week. Because many people came for the triumphal entry, which we call, a week, or, a week ago. Jesus was being praised, and palms were going down, and their coats, and, hail. here comes the King. And they're talking about all these things, and while they're discussing it, it says that Jesus approached them. And he began traveling with him. Now, he wasn't cloaked. He wasn't in disguise. It says that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. This was supernatural. This was divine. And he said, what are these words that you guys are talking about on the road here? And they stop. They stood still and, and, and they look sad. There's emotion here. They're stunned. They've probably been talking about things on and off and their perspective of what they saw, and everyone will see it differently. But together, it builds a fuller picture. And looking sad, one of them with the name, Cleopas, answers him, and he's like, from what rock did you just crawl from under? Like, are you the only person on the planet that does not know what's been going on here? And Jesus goes, what things? I mean, it is kind of funny, but Jesus is so patient with us. He knew what things had happened to him, but he wanted to hear it from them. He wants to hear from us. He wants to, what are the people saying? What is their perspective on what happened? He wants to hear from us. He wants to know how we're feeling and what we saw and the emotion and how we love him and what our hopes and dreams were for him. So Patient. And they say the things about this Jesus, the Nazarene, this mighty prophet indeed. But our leaders put him to death. However, we heard some amazing news from our women who went to the tomb and found it empty. And they saw a vision of angels who said he is risen. And then he says, you foolish men, you are slow of heart to believe. Now, these men were disciples of Jesus. Maybe they were part of the 70 that Jesus had sent out earlier We don't know for sure. It doesn't say. But they had heard of the resurrection from the ladies, it says, and their hearts were so full of sadness that they were slow to believe it. Now this section we just read and the section we're going to read in a minute is the longest exchange between Jesus and anyone about the resurrection. And these men may not have been prominent, but they were mentioned And one of them by name, Cleopas. And it's an interesting study, which I don't have time to go into. And you know how I am when it comes, I see your name, I got to figure out why your name is in there. I did that last week with Simon and Serene. But I'll tell you this, Cleopas had a family. And his wife is mentioned at being at the foot of the cross, along with Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene. It says, Mary, the wife of... Now, there's a variant in the spelling by one letter, but most scholars believe this is the same person. He had a family, and there's more to the story, and I'll touch base on one more aspect of that in a minute. But what I really want to focus on here is verse 19 when he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed. And word in sight of God and all the people, these words reveal to us that these two men still did not understand who Jesus really was. To him, to them, he was a mighty prophet. Amen. But they still didn't see him as Messiah and the Son of God. So often we can know all about Jesus and what he has done, and yet fail. To see him as he truly is. We fail to call upon him. We fail to rely on him. And, and to hope in him. And sadly most. Of all we fail to listen to him. Like he's dead. Like we've already buried him. We have hope for our struggle. Or a trial that we're going through. And sometimes. Sometimes. Our hope dies with Jesus. When Jesus died, we, we've already buried him. Now, we may never say that, but we've got to be careful because sometimes actions speak louder than words. In verse 28, it goes on and it says, And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him saying stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he reclined at the table with them he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and he rec- and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another were not our hearts burning within us? Well He was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have now. Verse 28 is interesting because it says, And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening. And the day is now over. So he went in to stay with him. Now, I like this. I like this, Jesus acted as though he were going farther. That's interesting to me. Why does it appear that Jesus is playing games with these two? Like, first you don't see me, now you do. Jesus acted like he was going farther, but he really wanted to stay. As the men drew near their destination, notice that Christ did not force himself into their home. He waited. He acted like he was going farther until they invited him in. And he became a crucial part of their life. Such a powerful reminder for today, church. Jesus does not kick down the door to your heart either. He waits until he's invited in. And when you do that not your parents not your family members not your friends not your youth pastor or your associate pastor or your senior pastor but when you do that He'll become a crucial part of your life. And He will open your eyes and you will recognize Him and it will change your life forever. If you've never done that I urge you to come see me or one of our elders, really anyone in our fellowship. And and let's talk about that. Now understand, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. But express those doubts and those questions and we can work through the answers. In verses 30 through 31, it says they're reclining at this table. And he takes the bread and he blesses it. And then he breaks it. And then he gives it to them and it says that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, is it my imagination? Or does it seem that miracles always happen when Jesus breaks bread? Like I think back to Mark chapter 6 in John chapter 6. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And in that story, the disciples come to Jesus and they go, tell the people to go home. We don't have any food for them. And Jesus says, you feed them. He's testing them. The disciples don't offer up anything, but Peter has got a great idea. I'm going to offer this little boy's lunch. And this little boy has five loaves of bread and two fishes. Here you go, Lord. I'm like, come on, guys. Give the Lord something to work with. But they offered themselves nothing. And Jesus does something that's amazing. He takes something that clearly was not enough. Five loaves and two fishes, and he blesses it. He gives thanks for it. And until you are grateful for something, for the little things, God does not multiply the little things into many things. You've got to give him something to work with. But what's really crazy about that story and how it relates here is that he blesses it, and then he breaks it, and that's when we lose count. We lose count of how many loaves there are. Now there's leftovers. <laughs> Something happens in the breaking. And a miracle happens here in the breaking. When Jesus explained the scriptures to them, it said their hearts were afire. They got convicted. Their eyes were opened. He had them. They got it. And it's a miracle happens in the breaking. I know a miracle happened to me when I got broken. My eyes were opened. He had me. I got it. And I've been pursuing him ever since. And in verse 32, it goes on and says, where they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? It's interesting how Jesus speaks to our hearts and makes the Scriptures come alive. Some teachers do that too, but it's not them, it's the Holy Spirit moving through them. And understand that the things that Jesus told them were not new things. These are things that they already knew, but now it's a new application to old truths. Sometimes that's what we need, we just need a new application to an old revelation. Have you ever been reading the Bible and you know you've read that chapter before? And maybe it's been a little while, and you go, "Mm, God, it's almost like I've never read this before. That's what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit opens your minds as you grow. If God could give you everything He has for you right now, day one, your head would explode. As you grow, the Lord reveals truths. And it goes on to say that they return to Jerusalem that very hour, like they see the Christ. They just got home. It's late. It's dark. You don't travel at night, but these guys go back to Jerusalem. It's at that very hour. And it says they find the eleven gathered there and they begin to relate their experiences on the road and how our hearts were burning and the emotion and everything that's happened. And man, it just came alive to us when he spoke. And then this miracle happened and he vanishes. And I got to tell you. And then it says this verse that I just don't understand. It says, then they, they say, he has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. I've read this story many times, probably so have you, and I guess like you, we've all assumed that he's talking about Simon Peter. He is really risen. He's appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. But last I remember, Simon went home. Jesus had not appeared to him. I, I don't know what to do with this verse. And this is speculation. As I studied out Cleopas, he had a wife, Mary, who was at the foot of the cross. And it's interesting to know that tradition shows us, tells us they had several sons. And one of them was named Simon. Again, I'm just saying, some theologians believe that maybe the other person on the road to Emmaus was his son, Simon. And it makes sense to me that if you're traveling back from being away you're traveling back to your hometown, you'd be traveling with your family. I don't know. I'm just just throwing it out there for you to think about. I just don't know what to do with that verse. Now in verses 36 through 39, it talks about how, while they were saying these things, Jesus appears and says, "Peace be to you." But they're startled, they're frightened, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he says, why are you troubled? Why why do you have doubts in your hearts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. I'm here for real. I'm not a ghost. This is a physical resurrection. He wanted to prove to his followers that he's really been resurrected. Not just stand in their presence. He wanted them to see the wounds. And he wanted to eat before them to help them understand. Ghosts don't eat. This is a physical resurrection. Look at verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. Now wait, you couldn't believe because you were freaked out and sad and remorse. Now you can't believe it because you're so happy and amazed. He said to them, have you anything to eat? Here, quick, give me something to eat to let you know. Quit focusing on me being a spirit. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate him. Verse 44, now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All the things that were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All I could think about, church, when I read that passage is where is the sign-up sheet for that Bible study, right? Like, man, I want to see that. I'm amazed what... My mind goes crazy trying to think about all the passages he must have used to explain that he was the Messiah. He must have showed them many passages from the Old Testament, different parts of the Old Testament. He must must have began in Genesis. Genesis 3.15, where the Messiah would be born of a woman. Micah, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah, Messiah would be born of a virgin. He had to go to the book of Numbers, where it says Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. 2 Samuel, Messiah would be an heir to King David's throne, Jeremiah, that the massacre of children would happen in the Messiah's hometown. It's incredible. Isaiah again, that there would be one before him to pave the way preached by a forerunner. My mind goes nuts trying to figure out all the things he would have said, but one thing I know for sure, I know we know that he definitely spoke of Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 61. 4. These are the passages where it says, "The Messiah must suffer and die and rise again on the third day." He says that in the passages we've read. We know he went there. I printed out some sheets for you to have, if you like, on the way out, They're at the information counter. 47 Old Testament verses about Jesus as the Messiah. It's so cool. But Jesus was showing his followers, these are the facts, these are the facts written down about me before I was born, through the Old Testament, about the Messiah. And I love this next verse, verse 45. He explains it to them and it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now here's a great prayer for you. A prayer that every one of us pastors prays before counseling and before we teach, Father, open up my mind to understand the Scriptures. You should pray that before you read your Bible. Have you ever gotten a fresh look at old principles before, like I mentioned early, where you read something and it's like, man, this, what is this? Like, I know I've read it, but why does it have different meaning? The Spirit opens up our minds. In verse 46, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, this is Luke's account of the Great Commission, which is so popular and we all memorize out of Matthew 28 that they were to take the message, the gospel message from Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, the good news, and take it throughout the world, beginning first in Jerusalem. For it is through Israel that all the peoples of the world would be saved. But it is important also to note that not only should we speak the gospel, but we should also preach repentance and forgiveness of sin, the very thing that the world doesn't want to hear anything about and it can make us fearful. And we could be okay with saying, well, there was this guy, Jesus, who died, buried, and resurrected for your sin, and then we're out. He says, no, you need to speak about repentance and the forgiveness of sins through repentance. And look what he says in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is clearly a reference to the Holy Spirit who will give you the words to say if we will open up our mouths. Begin with the gospel message and share of your life and your changed life, your conversion, and let the Holy Spirit do His thing Give the Lord something to work with. Give him the loaf and the fish, and see if he doesn't multiply it. The Holy Spirit helps us in evangelism, but He also helps us in speaking repentance. Now, verse fifty. It says, "And they led them, and He led them out as far as Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and He blessed them." While he was blessing them, he parted for them, from them and was carried up to heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were, and, and were continual, continuing, continually in the temple praising God. It's amazing. The last thing our Lord did was to bless the people through His words. And the first thing they did was to worship Him. Jesus set their hearts on fire with His blessings and His words, and they worship Him. And and these things always go together. He not only opened up their lips to witness, but He opened up their mouths to worship and praise. Now, when we come to church as observers... And not try to get out of our own heads about what people are thinking, how they look at me, how I sound, then I think we can miss some spiritual blessing that the Lord may want to give you. My daughter has Down syndrome. She's over here. You've all seen her. You see her worship. She dances in the aisle. We let her go. We let her do her thing, and so often you come up to us afterwards and go, man, I wish I could be like that. Just not worry, just free to praise and worship. Yes, it's a blessing to us, and we feel blessed through her worship. Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, some of you are going to feel very uncomfortable right here. This is going to make you feel, uh, well, listen, me too. I came from a very conservative church background and we would never do this. There's there's no way. But I remember the very first time I did. I was at a youth conference, 5,000 youths were there. (laughs) I was clearly the oldest person there and I came a little bit late and the only place to sit was in the very back row of this auditorium and it was dark and I'm up against the wall And this was in Colorado Springs, a New Life church, and Desperation Band, one of my favorite worship bands, is just killing it. And I'm into it, man, but I'm not doing this. And he stops like he reads my mind, and just stops and says, listen, there's 5,000 of you here from all over the country, and no one knows who you are, and it is dark in here. And I know some of you want to do this, but maybe you could just start with one hand. And then they went on. I thought, "Doggone it! I—that's right. I'm gonna do this, man." And I—I I stuck up that one hand, and I'm telling you, it was like an antenna for spiritual blessing. And I've been doing it, occasion, different times, all the time. Try it sometime. You just might find a blessing. And I want to close with these final words this recap of something he says here. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. Let all of us today, let's leave here with great joy and let us continue to worship in the church and everywhere we go, for he is risen. And your response is? Amen. Amen. So uh, at the end of every service we throw up this homework slide and encourage you to have a conversation about the sermon you just heard. To have a conversation, share what God has said in his word to you and then next week we start the second book of Luke's books. It continues off right where we left it continues right where we left off, the book of Acts. That's where we're starting next week. So read Acts 1 every day. And as extra credit, maybe memorize a verse from Acts 1. So let's close with prayer. Our God in heaven, I praise you, and God, just thank you for this time. Thank you, mighty God, for opening our hearts wide and to receive what you have for each and every one of us. Father, I do pray that these words were powerful today, that this is what you said on my heart, and hopefully out of the overflow of what you've been doing to me was expressed. Daddy, would you continue to shepherd us and protect us as we go and help us to leave here with great joy, knowing that you, your son, have risen. We praise you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus, I pray, amen.